ready for a one-of-a-kind experience. Welcome, welcome to the Starter Zone, your home for the weekly news from around the world. Your host for this journey, Amanda. I'm a Barbie girl. She's going to bring you everything you need to hear about entertainment, gaming, and maybe just a little bit bizarre. Hold tight, because here she comes. Well, thank you, Raven, for that warm, warm welcome. Hello there, adventurers. Good day to you all, and welcome to the Starter Zone. I am your guide, Amanda, and it is time to bring you the headlines from all of the gaming and entertainment news sources. Today, we are going to check out why Blizzard went dark over the weekend, some Mortal Kombat 1 remake news, Barbie's looking pretty in pink, and we'll take a look back at this weekend's box office and more. Saddle up, everyone. Let's get going. Mortal Kombat is a decade-spanning fantasy fighting franchise, and it helped to define the genre. The original game came out in 1992, and, okay, side note, Mortal Kombat was one of many violent video games that started coming out and really came into prominence between 1992 and 1993, and they generated controversy among parents and public officials. So they held hearings, congressional hearings, on video game violence and the corruption of society. We've been still hearing hearings like this, even in the last couple of years. So this is going back decades. These hearings were held by two senators, Joseph Lieberman and Herb Cole. And these were held in late 1992 and 1993. The legislators were especially concerned with the realistic replicas of human figures in games. Mortal Kombat being one of them, Night Trap, Doom, Lethal Enforcers, as opposed to more cartoonish characters in other violent games like Eternal Champions or Time Killers. The result of the hearings was that the entertainment software industry was given just one year to form a working rating system or the federal government was going to intervene and create their own system. So eventually... The Entertainment Software Rating Board, the ESRB, was conceived, requiring all video games to be rated, and for those ratings to be placed on the game's packaging. So there. Now we know that the ESRB was born because of Mortal Kombat. The more you know. So now NetherRealm Studios is developing a sequel to the wildly popular 2019 Mortal Kombat 11. Sort of. It's also considered to be a reboot called Mortal Kombat 1 because that wasn't confusing enough. The timeline reboot system, it's not new to the Mortal Kombat series. It first started back in 2011 with Mortal Kombat. This is when the graphics were updated and things were kind of born into the modern age. This latest reboot introduces a reborn Mortal Kombat universe created by the fire god Liu Kang. It's going to feature reimagined iconic characters, and Mortal Kombat 1 will allow you to control these new spins on 
Johnny Cage, Katana, Kung Lao, Liu Kang, Melina, Raiden, Scorpion, etc. All your fan favorites are coming back, just with a little bit of a twist. And boy, was that Mortal Kombat 11. I did not get an opportunity to play it, but I sure watched so many people play it, and it was amazing to watch, and I will eventually get my hands on it. But it was messy, very messy in regards to the damage you got to see. I mean, you had the x-ray moves, crushing blows. This game was definitely not meant for kids or anybody with a squeamish stomach. Mortal Kombat 1 is going to be huge. It's already generating a lot of hype right now. There's a lot of excitement. People are looking forward to the fun, the gore, and even the requirements to run it are going to be pretty huge. And to me, MK11 was just beautiful in their graphics. Regardless of, of seeing the, the damage to, done to the insides and the entrails becoming the X-trails, it still was a very beautiful game. The graphics look fantastic. And I'm expecting no less from MK1. And I do want to talk about the specs, but I'm going to avoid being technical here. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to link the PC requirements down in the comments. So you could view that. Make sure that your rig's up to date and ready to go for when this game comes out. To add to the fun of this game, NetherRealm Studios is bringing back a signature finishing move. Quitality. Yep, you heard that right. A quitality. This was a name given to a sequence when a player rage quits, and it first made an appearance back in Mortal Kombat 10. In the example that we were able to see, there was an opponent by the name of Kenshi who breaks his own neck and brings a premature close to the match. It reminded a lot of people of Mortal Kombat Deception's Harakiri. Kind of cool, but hey. A fine ending to all rage quitters everywhere. Mortal Kombat 1 will be available as a beta test coming in August of 2023. The official launch is listed as September 19th, but early access will begin on September 14th, 2023. We'll see you out there. Diablo 4 went dark this weekend, and Blizzard had kind of a whiteout. What happened? Well, according to a message on the game's main menu screen, they were dealing with a DDoS attack, an extended one, and as a result, players kept getting disconnected from the always-online action RPG during one of the highest traffic periods of the week. Honestly, if you're going to attack, you could do it on the weekends if you want to inconvenience the most amount of people. The message on the Battle.net customer service account tweeted on June 25th, quote, We are investigating the login issues affecting Diablo 4 and we're working to resolve these as soon as possible. Players may experience cues while we're working on the issue, unquote. Now, later in the day, the company confirmed it was still investigating and that they were, in fact, dealing with a DDoS attack. DDoS, as a reminder, refers to a distributed denial of service, meaning it's basically a cyber attack, and it talks about when a system is flooded with interactions, so actual users can't use the intended service. So they're flooding the system, where the regular people can't get in. An in-game announcement greeted a lot of confused players and was talking about how players are going to have high latency problems and disconnections if they can even connect at all. Blizzard didn't immediately provide any information or timeline for when the attack might stop and play may resume as normal. Some players were saying they couldn't even play for nearly 12 hours. Well, there goes your most of your weekend. 
social media for the game and for Blizzard, and this is including the game's popular subreddit, was just predictably filled with players making jokes and people talk about how they'd normally be logging in and then just constantly refreshing the game's main menu and the customer service help accounts instead. Good news is, according to Blizzard, that the attacks that they were monitoring have ended and that you were supposed to now be able to log into the game. Some people are still reporting that they're having login issues. So Blizzard is individually investigating to find out if it's related to the DDoS attack or if it's just a separate issue altogether. So while that's good news, the situation overall, it's an unfortunate, but it's a familiar risk for the always online game. Slight soapbox moment. I have never been a very big fan of these always online games, especially if they're solo play. Why do I constantly need to be online for this? It interrupts my service. It interrupts my game when I'm having to rely on a server. I understand connecting to the server to like sync my progress to an online cloud or to receive the most recent updates. But when that's completed, disconnect me. Let me play. I'll resync when I'm done. Maybe it overloads the system. I'm not completely confident how that part works, but it's just... It's why I never finished Diablo 3. I loved Diablo and Diablo 2. I loved playing them. My partner and I, we would play on the LAN version of it, and it was fun. It was fantastic. And then Diablo 3 came out, and I was beholden to the Battle.net launcher, and it just drove me up the wall. And I couldn't stand it. I'm like, I'm playing this solo. I wasn't even doing a LAN game at the time. And I just kept having connectivity, connectivity, connectivity problems. So I've never been a big fan of it. That's just my personal opinion. And it's just, it's a big bummer that there's just no way to play Diablo 4 as a completely single-player experience. We've come so far and not that far at all. And with Diablo 3 always being online, and that got a lot of backlash. I remember a lot of people complaining and they refused to play the game because of it. But unfortunately, this is now a more commonplace requirement. It's almost become the, for lack of a better term, industry standard uh, as more games are be- becoming and pivoting to this being online all the time service. And Diablo 4 really pushed hard into this. And it was a very controversial decision that they made to force players to start a new character from scratch each season if they want to progress their corresponding battle pass. That's still a controversy, but we're going to see how that part goes. But, I mean, it wouldn't be a dog, honestly when it comes to Blizzard and Diablo, it wouldn't be a launch for this game if there wasn't something for players to argue and complain about. It's a very interesting situation when you see an announcement about something and then when it disappears, you really got to wonder what's the truth. What I'm referring to is a tweet that came out from Bethesda Support. Their support Twitter account. Let me, I'll come back to that. Saying that Starfield, this awesome Bethesda game that'll be coming out in September is not going to have a physical disc upon release. All physical editions will include a code for their chosen platform, but no physical discs. This was published back on the 25th of June, but shortly after it was released, it was deleted. It's still available on the Wayback Machine, and we were able to get a hold of the screenshot of it. And it literally is somebody's tweeting, hey, Bethesda support will the physical standard edition of Starfield for Series X include a disc. 
support replies hello all physical editions include a code for the chosen platform now the tweet was very swiftly swiftly deleted but we don't know if it was because it was inaccurate so some there's a possibility that there will be discs but or it may be like a, a premature announcement like we weren't ready to tell you guys about this particularly because this news came via the support account for bethesda not the official bethesda communication as well it's it's a very sticky issue around the whole twitter verification thing which accounts are real which ones are not who wanted to pay for the check mark versus who didn't want to pay for it so bethesda support account this particular account doesn't have the verification check mark on there so some people are saying that it wasn't a real tweet from bethesda because it doesn't have the verification mark on there some people are saying, well, Bethesda just didn't want to pay the $7 for that check mark. So Eurogamer got a hold of the story and they've reached out to Bethesda for clarification, stating they will do an update as soon as they hear back. And so far, crickets. So we still don't know. Will Starfield have a disc or not? Is it really as important for some people? Uh, some people are actually kind of upset with the fa fact that they may not receive a physical copy. Um, just because it, it feels like it's shady to not give you one. And especially when they're calling it the physical edition, it should have a disc, not just an empty case with a code stickered to the inside of it. And some people argue that there's just no point in physical discs anymore because you're going to have to download the whole thing again, especially because it's going to be patched several times since the, the, the discs are imprinted and the game's going to be locked to your account. So what's the disc actually do? And then a lot of people are saying it just has to do with the wording um, and the fact that they just want the physical edition. Some people like to collect the discs. I have a pile of them in my back room from games I've kept over the years where I just want the physical disc. How many copies of Dragon Age Inquisition do I have on my computer? I just have the one. I still have the disc. I just have to re-download it with my, my information every time I go and want to reinstall the game and play it again. But I wanted that disc. I'm one of those weird people and it's it's also a verification of physical ownership so some people with everything becoming more digital and sometimes it's hard to prove if something's real or not and to hold the physical disc going this is my copy this is my game I bought it this this is mine it's just a, a physical verification that this is what I own I don't have to rely on somebody else's verification server the always online thing again to prove that I'm allowed to have a copy of this material. And I mean, it's just, it, it started another argument because we're online and we always like to argue no matter what. We'll argue what color the sky is at this point. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see if, if they're going to create the discs or not, or if they're going to stand by this deleted tweet of no physical copies. Is it really that important in the long run? Not really, but it is kind of interesting that they made the statement and the statement got deleted. Who deleted it? Is the Bethesda support account real? Very interesting to watch and see if Bethesda responds. Times move on and things change. Some things stay the same and others don't. One of the oldest still running MMOs is shutting down for good after 27 years. 27 years. That's a long running MMO. The Realm Online is shutting down and announcing the sudden and unexpected end of the game's, um, the game's website 
Realm World LLC's Jackson, Michael, and Roger revealed that the team failed to acquire the IP rights to the Realm Online after their offer was allegedly deemed inadequate, which effectively terminates the relationship with the holder of the IP, Norseman Games, and, quote, with it, our ability to continue to operate and develop the game. The company says it's gotten very little feedback on the bids that they put out, and they weren't provided with any counter offers, alleging that the staff of the LLC hasn't even been compensated for over a year. Realm Worlds is described as an all-in-one platform designed for TTRPG enthusiasts, and it was originally launched all the way back in December of 1996. Now I feel old. The current, and they, they made a statement and said the current agreement we have with Norseman Games gives us no path to acquiring the IP, which will impede our ability to direct more money into developing content for the game. So as revenue from the game decreases year after year, the effective percentage of revenue that goes to Norseman increases and it makes it even harder still. None of the LLC members have been compensated for over a year, and we had full intention of exploring every possibility to grow the player base. But without a way to acquire the IP, this isn't a workable arrangement. Now, consequently, the, game, the team says the game servers and the website will officially shut down on June 30th at 6 p.m., uh, which is, looks like it's Eastern time for American listeners. And it will now start to issue prorated refunds to subscribers, and they're going to start winding down operations. Now, if they reach a solution before the deadline, they'll continue. And, quote, Finvara's Fortress will be in the exact state we left it. Nothing will be lost. We're keeping backups of the work that we've done over the last five years, including all character data from the Finvara Fortress server and everything that's in progress we haven't been able to complete. We have Im immensely enjoyed our last five years together trying to make the realm a better place to play. As you all know, we are all players ourselves, so we will continue to see you around. We hope that development on the game will continue and that the game lives a long and fulfilling life. But for now, this is goodbye. The name Barbara Millicent Roberts may not be very well known to a lot of people, but you might know her as Barbie. Barbie is a fashion doll that was manufactured by the American toy company of Mattel, and she launched back on March the 9th, 1959. That was 64 years ago. Barbie has saturated the market for years. Super popular doll. Even if you never had one, you know who she is. She's had 43 movies and various TV shows, drawing books, you name it. It probably had her name and picture listed on it. But Barbie is now going live action. Her movie is set to debut on July 21st, 2023, and will star Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling as the title couple of Barbie and Ken. And it looks to be an absolute fun riot. I plan on going to see this one. And as part of the marketing for this movie, Barbie will be pulling into Forza Horizon 5 with a new Xbox collaboration because where there's a wheel, there's a way. Xbox, along with Warner Brothers Pictures and Mattel, is going to be bringing exclusive Barbie content to Forza Horizon 5. Players are going to be gifted two cars inspired by the upcoming film, a classic 1956 Chevrolet Corvette, EV Corvette, 
which is going to be driven in the movie by Barbie, as well as a 2022 GMC Hummer EV pickup as favored by Ryan Gosling's Ken in the movie. Now, both cars can be downloaded from Forza Horizon 5's in-game message center, and they will appear in your garage and ready for you to hit the road. A blog post on this collaboration says, bringing Barbie's signature flair to our gaming platform. We're honoring all that there is to love about this iconic role model, her persevering optimism, wide-ranging career journey, and never-ending capacity for self-discovery, unquote. Additionally, Microsoft debuted a rather eye-catching Barbie-inspired Xbox Series S along with interchangeable controller faceplates that have been designed after Barbie and Ken's distinct on-screen outfits. Y'all, we're talking tassels and we're talking sparkles. I'd rather be there will be a chance to win this particular Series S Xbox, which has been custom built into Barbie's dream house for yourself. So keep an eye out on Xbox's Twitter feed and the Microsoft Rewards Program from July 10th to find out more. Now, amongst all of that, I, I actually want to know how much money this marketing team has been putting out because this next part is a little insane, but that's just my opinion. Apparently, fans can now officially rent the Malibu Barbie Dream House on Airbnb as hosted by Barbie's right-hand man, Ken. He's trading in his rollerblades and the surf shorts to offer fans a one-of-a-kind experience this July at the life-sized inspired mansion proving he's more than quote just Ken. On July 17th everybody in Barbie land can request to book Ken's room in Barbie's dream house at airbnb.com slash Ken Dreamhouse for two individual one night stays for up to two guests. The selected winners will stay at the pink mansion in Malibu on July 21st and 22nd free of charge to indulge in all of that energy that revamped beach home has to offer okay via a press release ken said we all have dreams and barbie is lucky enough to have a house full of them but now it's my turn and i can't wait to host guests inside this one of a kind dare i say one of a ken dig unquote let the puns continue this newly renovated malibu dream house sports barbie's signature pink polish and upon, this, upon their stay, guests will be able to indulge in the opportunity to go through Ken's wardrobe, because that's not creepy, learn line dancing on the outdoor disco floor, engage in a beach off by the infinity pool, and take home an exclusive piece of the Kendom with a set of yellow and pink Impala skates and skateboards. Old school Barbie fans will remember that iconic pink and yellow color scheme they had going on, so yeah, you'll get a piece of that one. Ken hosting this Airbnb event is commemorating the July 21st release of the Greta Gerwig Barbie movie starring Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie and will also feature America Ferreira, Kate McKinnon, Rhea Perlman, and Will Ferrell. To celebrate the release of the movie, Airbnb is going to make a one-time donation to a charity called Save the Children. It's an organization that provides learning resources and support to children, families, and communities in support of girls' confidence. So hardcore Barbie fans, pay attention to this one so you might get your chance to stay in Malibu at that iconic pink mansion July 21st and July 22nd. We'll see you in Malibu.
Perfect Dark was a 2000 first-person shooter that was developed and published by Rare for the Nintendo 64. It was the first in a series, and it's currently owned by Xbox Game Studios. Now, in 2020, Xbox made the announcement that they were going to revive Perfect Dark. But now, an update has come out saying that a reboot of the game's production has set the revival back at least two to three years away. It was expected to be released in 2023, but according to an IGN report, citing 13 sources that are familiar with the development, this is little meaningful progress has been made on the project since the CG trailer in 2020. There's no real smoking gun on what's been going wrong. There's just been a lot of different issues, really ranging from struggles in making co-development work to a number of high-profile departures from the lead studio called The Initiative. Now, for most readers of IGN, the key detail in this game is now that it's, it's, it's in its early stages of production. As of 2022, Perfect Dark was essentially started over from scratch and put into Unreal Engine, or Unreal 5. And that came after The Initiative publicly announced their partnership with Crystal Dynamics, who makes Tomb Raider. Development was progressing a lot more smoothly since the reboot, but the report notes that several sources say they would consider Perfect Dark to be more of a Crystal Dynamics game than one by The Initiative, which has a lot of fans starting to become a little bit worried. Now, The Initiative has always been a smaller studio stacked with AAA talent, and prior to this partnership with Crystal Dynamics, they were working with the co-developer called Certain Affinity, who is a contract studio that has helped with numerous Halo and Call of Duty games. So this report is suggesting that there's a lack of clear vision for the game, and it's led to struggles in the co-development process. And while a proof-of-concept version of the game was actually built, it was shortly after that the initiative parted ways with Certain Affinity. Now, in regards to the co-development issues, Xbox Games boss Matt Booty told IGN in an interview, it is perhaps a little different than what has been done over the last five to ten years. Well, sure, but I think more uh, it's more of the way that we're going to see things getting built going forward than not. And that's why, despite all the bumps in the road and the hiccups, we've had some people come on board from other very traditional teams to show up and say, hey, wait a minute, this is not how I'm used to working. And so he's saying the team has now really just hit the rhythm on Perfect Dark. So they're blaming it on... We've had what I would call too many cooks in the kitchen. Everybody trying to put their input into. You've got people coming in that are not used to working on these types of games. So while this game is still in production and it doesn't look like they're giving up on it, it just looks like it's hit a lot of bumpy spots. So unfortunately, the 2023 release date is not feasible anymore. And we're looking at maybe a 2025 to 2026. So fans of the Perfect Dark series, don't despair just yet. You're still going to get your game reboot. You just got to wait a tiny little bit longer. Warner Brothers Games, in conjunction with Player First Games, developed a game called Multiverses. It's an upcoming free-to-play crossover fighting game. You know, it's a platform fighter. It's a lot like Smash Brothers. And it's got the players battling on different stages, attempting to knock the other person all out of the boundary by dealing sufficient damage. Okay, so what was so special about this? It's owned by Warner Brothers, and it's got characters from Warner Brothers Entertainment. Who am I talking about? Finn the Human, Jake the Dog, 
Batman, Harley Quinn, Gizmo and Stripe from Gremlins, Looney Tunes characters such as Bugs Bunny, Marvin the Martian. We even got the Iron Giant, Shaggy. How about a little bit of Velma? Tom and Jerry? Sounds pretty awesome. This game went into early access and beta on July 19th of 2022 and even had a 2v2 tournament at the 2022 Evolution Championship Series and it had Twitch drops as reward systems and purchasable founders packs. But now, 11 months into the open beta, it's now officially offline. The full release of this game is anticipated sometime in 2024, but the developer Player First Games announced that they were shutting the servers off back in March and even going as far as pulling the game from Steam's store back in April and gradually winding down its content until the closure on June 25th. Players who own the game and who downloaded it before April 4th will still be able to play its training and its local multiplayer modes with all characters and cosmetics items from the Battle Pass and store fully unlocked while the game is on hiatus. However, once the game is back online, it will revert back to whichever characters and cosmetics that you had unlocked prior to the hibernation. In the Multiverse's FAQ, Player First says it intends to return with a full launch in early 2024 with changes like the content cadence of new characters, maps, modes, netcode and matchmaking improvements, progression system updates, and more. No refunds will be offered to players who spent money on the free-to-play fighters upgraded versions, premium currency, store items, or battle passes. Anything purchased, including unused currency, will be available to use once the game returns with the full launch. Now, the handling of this supposed temporary shutdown has been really bizarre, and I'm not a fan of the process that they went through. Considering that they were selling $100 editions of the game less than a year ago, two seasons of Battle Pass and Premium Currency, it really kind of feels cheeky to pull the rug out from underneath these financially dedicated players. And look, this is a solid platform fighter. There were some little problems, but Metaverse's got a review of 78 out of 100. That's pretty solid. They were boasting $100,000 tournaments with even just a couple months of launch, and they really had a lot of serious backing behind it. But that being said, Player First Games has always been clear in the FAQs that this was an open beta, but it wasn't really clear about it anywhere else. So if you didn't go to the FAQs, you didn't really understand what they were about to do. There were no talks um, going on about it going offline. Um until they announced it back in March. And I presume a lot of people, I'm assuming that this was going to be a, you know, a seamless transition into full release or maybe a little bit of offline time before it came out. Most times you'll see a beta go straight from, all right, we're in the beta edition to, hey, full access. Everything's unlocked now. The game is now live. Sometimes you'll see it go down for a month or so before launch to work out those last minute bugs before it comes back on. That's not too unusual these days but considering how vocal and the the developer has been throughout the game's lifespan the fact that they were going to be taking it down for at least half a year maybe more it just kind of came out of left field it's just kind of a weird it's like making you wonder what's going on behind the scenes now they say hey we know we're taking it offline we appreciate y'all's feedback 
we got a lot of work we need to do we'll be back in six months that's one thing but to say we don't know when we're coming back we're you know we're planning on coming back the fan base is a little unsure of its future at this point but honestly like i said it looks like a really solid game um but this point though i don't know if it launches next year and i'm gonna say if because they haven't given us a date if the game does launch next year i'm not expecting to see a ton of fanfare around this or a lot of hype anymore because of the way it's just been kind of yanked out from under people um it just really feels like they're killing the momentum that the game has now if they come out in like two months or so and they do like a small open beta that would be one thing but the fact that they've removed it from the steam store has got a lot of people hesitating right now um, and I'm not one to solely rely on SteamDB, Steam's database charts. I love looking at the numbers and such. But I looked at the, the, the player count between September and February, and it really makes me wonder. I'm seeing the popularity popularity start to dwindle. And it just makes me wonder. If, if they hadn't said what they said or if they had said it a little bit a different way, the men, momentum would still be there. People might be hanging on. But it also could be people were just tired of it being in beta status and they're moving on to something else until it comes back in full release. So we're going to be waiting to see. Obviously, they said first of 2024. There's six months in the beginning of 2024. So we'll see if uh, we see any announcements come out. We still have six months left of 2023. So I'm going to be curious to see this. I was enjoying watching what I was seeing. I thought it was a really cool battler. It was funny to see a lot of familiar cartoon characters I watched growing up. Hey, it's a whole nother level of the Tom and Jerry battle, you know? So we'll keep an eye on this one. We'll update as we hear more. Before I get into this next segment, I just want to do a quick reminder shout out. A couple of episodes ago, we were talking about the fact that the world record for the Rubik's Cube had been set at 3.13 seconds. And I mentioned my producer, uh, Raven, over here. He's been working on his Rubik's Cube skills and he was working really hard on it. And he wanted me to let everybody know that he's now down to one minute and 19.92 seconds for completion. It's seriously impressive regardless because it's like hours faster than I can do it even with instructions. But congratulations, Raven. You're doing fantastic. So moving on, we're going to talk a little bit about the box office this past weekend. We've recently been talking about The Flash has come out and everybody was really kind of hyping on it and hating on it at the same time. And it was a very divisive film even before it came out. And somewhere across the multiverse that The Flash is talking about now, this movie, which was once regarded at, by its own studio as one of the greatest superhero movies of all time, because let's pat ourselves on the back. Hey, be proud of your work, but honestly. And this movie really should be towering over this box office. It's only in its second weekend of release. It was hyped. It was, you know, it's DC and it's a popular character, but... In this universe, the audiences are just saying no to this Warner Brothers movie. This movie starring Ezra Miller as the uh, title character, he's timeline-spanning speedster is what they're calling him. It, rather taking what's called the victory lap, the DC comic book adventure is really cratering. And it's in third place at the box office in its second weekend out. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse 
was dropped down to like number two or three on the box office after being out for several weeks. He just retook the number one spot and Pixar's Elemental came out and it's still in second place. And that was not exactly a great release for Disney Pixar, but it's holding its own. And here comes Jennifer Lawrence's new R-rated comedy called No Hard Feelings. Over the weekend, The Flash suffered a 73, I think it's the number, 73% decline in the second weekend. It only took 15.3 million in in the in the theaters. That was over 4,000 theaters that it was in. That's a huge drop. Black Adam had dropped 59% from weekend one to two. And Shazam! Fury of the Gods did a 69% drop. And these were really big money losers for the DC studio. In the case of The Flash, though, this is catastrophic. It had a $200 million budget. And it's now signaling these ticket sales aren't coming back. They're not going to make their money back through the theatrical run. So far, this film has only generated... 87 million domestically and 120 through internationally so worldwide total of 210 it's over the budget but it's still a failure and it's only in its second weekend but part of the problem is we have new leadership at dc comics we've now got james gunn and peter saffron and they have both announced plans that they're going to reset this comic book universe we got word of this back in October. We were watching the news of Henry Cavill. He is going to be leaving the Witcher series. That's another story that fans are very upset about. He took the Witcher role and he made it his own. And he was talking about leaving because he didn't like the direction of the Witcher. But he's in talks with DC to reprise the role of Superman. His last several outings for Superman have been just fantastic. He's a wonderful Superman. And here he is. He's talking like, okay, at least he has another job coming up. It's a role people love him in. What do you mean they're not re-signing him? And that's when James Gunn basically said, we're going to go in a different direction for Superman. We're going to go with a younger version. We're going to kind of restart the series. And it was the first sign that things were not quite rumbling well within the studio and the fans backlashed pretty heavily and Henry Cavill was very generous about it and he's talking about you know this is just the direction that they're going and I think it's fantastic so I'm gonna go work on Warhammer 40k and the crowd goes wild so now we have James Gunn coming back saying you know we're rebooting it and audiences are now feeling really ambivalent about this they're like okay well What's the point in going to watch this movie if you're just going to reset the universe? Why should I care? You also have two more DC movies coming out before the end of the year. You have The Blue Beetle. That's coming out August the 18th. And then Jason Momoa's next outing as Aquaman and Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom. That's going to debut December 20th. And boy, is that movie also shrouded in controversy after what happened with the Amber Heard trial against Johnny Depp. The audiences are not with her right now. They are very much against her and how she acted. And the fact that Warner Brothers has not removed her from the movie. Same thing with Ezra Miller. Very controversial star right now, right or wrong. And they didn't remove him from the movie. But yet here you have, and I'm not going to go too soapboxy on this, but 
you had these allegations against Johnny Depp and they dropped him like a hot potato at the first time of trouble. It didn't resonate well with the audiences. And I think we're starting to see some of the backlash with the studio not paying attention to what the audience really wants. They really weren't completely behind Miller to begin with. And now you're telling me you're going to reboot the comic book series movie editions. Why should we care? So it was very chaotic this weekend at the box office. As a result of that, so here comes Spider-Man coming back to the number one spot. It's in its fourth weekend of release, by the way. And it took in $19.3 million. And it's really rare to see that a film will come back to the top of the charts this far into its theatrical run. Okay, it's only been four weeks. But with re- new releases coming out every week, you're going to see some drop. This really hasn't dropped that much. Domestically, Spider-Man has taken in $316 million domestically, $560 million globally. This movie is a blockbuster, and it's, it's, still, it's still going. I mean, Sony is just raking in the money on this one. They're doing it right, and then I, I'm, they're doing a great job with this story. And I look to see what they're going to continue to do, because I know they're doing a third movie in this series. Now, it did narrowly beat out the Disney Pixar Elemental, which came in second place at $18 million. So that's a $65 million haul for them, only $121 million domestically in its second week. It was stronger in the second week than anticipated. They expected a bit more of a drop. It only dropped 37%. But unfortunately, Elemental is the worst start in modern history for Pixar Studios. So Elemental is going to need to remain the choice for family audiences in order to be able to justify that $200 million price tag and restore some confidence to the Pixar brand. The last several outings by Pixar have not really been well received by audiences. Recently, so Elemental is the most recent release, and then you had Light Lightyear last year. That didn't turn out too great for the for that studio. Turning Red was a little controversial in itself. I mean, I've heard it was a great movie. I haven't sat down and watched that one. And honestly, the last two movies that I've seen from Pixar was Luca and Soul. And I really enjoyed those movies. I really did. I know Luca was not well-received and neither was Soul. Uh, just recently watched Luca a couple of days ago with my family. And I thought it was a beautiful story and I thought it was really well done. But audiences just really didn't resonate too well with that one. And so it, it, they're really going to have to focus on kind of getting back to the roots. I know they said next year they're coming out with Inside Out 2. And if you haven't seen Inside Out, the first one, that one will tug the heartstrings. It will just really get you thinking. And it's not just a kid's movie. This is a great movie for parents, just for you know adults, children, teenagers, it's really just a fantastic story, and I highly enjoyed it. It's probably one of my favorite in uh, Pixar movies. The original one came out in 2015, and they're going to be coming out nine years later uh, with the Inside Out 2. I don't have any details on what that one's going to be about, what they're going to explore, but I'm really looking forward to seeing what they're going to to do with the, with the story. But moving on into round off the top five of the box office weekend we're we're talking about jennifer lawrence comes in fourth place with her new comedy called no hard feelings where she's is starring as a down on her luck uber driver who accepts a craigslist ad to date an introverted 19 year old boy before he goes to college 
and audiences gave it a pretty favorable review. It came in at $15 million for fourth place. And then rounding out the top five completely was Transformers Rise of the Beast, which added $11.6 million, which was a 44% decline from its third weekend. So this is his fourth weekend out uh, for the newest Transformers Rise of the Beast. And speaking of James Gunn, he agreed during a recent interview on the Inside of You podcast that there were too many superhero movies and too many superhero television shows. Okay, so Gunn is the new co-boss. He's not the full boss. He's the co-boss of DC Studios alongside Peter Safran. And he's assured fans that the company is not going to overextend itself with the content as it starts this new reboot of the DC universe. And this is going to include James Gunn's new Superman movie called Super, it's going to be called Superman Legacy. He said, we're going to be very careful with the product that we put out and making sure everything is as good as it possibly be. With the sheer volume of superhero content, this is a problem, but Gunn has stressed that lazy storytelling is just a much bigger issue that's facing the genre at the moment. And to be honest, I kind of agree with him. He said, quote, people have gotten really lazy with their superhero stories. And they have gotten to the place where, oh, it's a superhero, let's make a movie about it. And then, oh, let's make a sequel sequel because the first one did pretty well. And they aren't thinking, why is this story special? What made this story stand apart from other stories? What is the story at the heart? Why is this character important? Why should I care? What makes this story different that it fills a need for people in theaters to go see? People have gotten a little lazy and there's a a little bit more of the biff, bam, pow stuff happening in movies. You know, big explosions. I'm looking at you, Michael Bay. And I'm watching these third acts of superhero films where I really just don't feel like there's a rhyme or reason to what's happening. I don't care about the characters. They've gotten too generic, unquote. A solution to the problem is having different genres within the larger superhero movie genre as opposed to this sort of middle of the road type that uh, so many of the movies are currently having. He also went on to say, I like very serious superhero movies, but I also like very comedic superhero movies. I like the ones that are murder mystery, but it's with superheroes. I like to see these different types of stories as opposed to seeing the same story told over and over again, unquote. Gunn and Safran's new DC universe is going to span across film, television, and video games. And in addition to Superman Legacy, which Gunn is currently writing and directing, the new DC universe film slate will include Supergirl, I'm sorry, Supergirl World of Tomorrow, Batman the Brave and the Bold, which will be directed by the Flash Helmer of Andy Mush- uh, Muschietti. I am going to be very curious to see where Gunn can take the DC universe. I've been a little skeptical because I, I will admit I'm one of those that I'm starting to get a little, okay, I'm not starting to, I've been superhero burned out. And this started before Avengers Infinity War even hit the theaters. And I'm just recently starting to kind of catch up with the story. And I think that by focusing more on the characters, making me care is going to kind of get me back into the genre. So I'm curious to see how this is really going to go. And to be honest, I'm kind of rooting for the possibility of maybe seeing um, a Batman Beyond 
hint, hint, hint. You already had a cameo with Michael Keaton in this most recent Flash movie. Can we not get a Batman Beyond where he's the older Bruce Wayne behind the in, in the chair and having some younger Terry McGinnis out there busting everybody up? This would be fantastic to see. And I'd love to see that kind of direction happening. And it's been rumored for years, but it started rumoring before James Gunn took over the studio. So we don't know if we'll ever see that one. That's just a personal thing of mine. But getting back to James Gunn's remarks regarding the superhero fatigue and such, people kind of started to wonder, you know, he was a very big proponent of this new Flash movie. He was out there being one of the biggest cheerleaders of this movie. And people kind of wondered after watching it, was he shown a different version? Was there maybe a director's cut that we didn't get to see? What was it that he saw that made him want to make this help make this movie a success? Or perhaps did he really see that it was going to be a failure, but he was just going to, you know, throw all the chips in and hope for the best and just move on with the, hey, look, we're rebooting it anyway. Let's just see how much money we can get out of it. But considering that this is the same company, that scrapped a Bat Batwoman movie that was, from what I understand, completed and they just ch chunked it in the garbage. Why would they allow this movie to come out if it was as bad as some people are saying? Like you're gonna have your diehard fans that are gonna love this movie to pieces and they're not they're gonna defend it with their last breath. And more power to them. I'm if they're happy, that's fantastic. But there's just so many critics of it. People wonder why did this movie get the green light? when Batwoman didn't get the green light and it it just confused it's confusing a lot of the audience so uh let's let's give James Gunn a chance I mean he did great with the Guardians of the Galaxy series so let's see what he can come up with for DC each year the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences holds many, many different uh, award ceremonies. The big one is the Oscars. So we all know what the Oscars are. That's happened at the beginning of the year. But towards the middle of the year, they do what's called the Governor's Awards. So this is an annual award ceremony, and they give out three different awards to signify lifetime achievement within the film industry. The Academy Honorary Award, the Gene Hersholt Humanitarian Award, and the I, uh, the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award. Now, this is really cool because this is giving people a chance that may not have won an Oscar previously, a chance to earn an honorary one. And this year, Angela Bassett and Mel Brooks are among those who are receiving honorary Oscars at this year's Governor's Awards. Now, joining Bassett and Brooks will be Carol Littleton, who is the editor of films such as Body Heat, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, and The Big Chill. Now, the Sundance Institute's Michelle Satter is going to be receiving the, the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award. Janet Yang, who is the Academy president, said, quote, Across her decades-long career, Angela Bassett has continued to deliver transcendent performances that set new standards in acting. Mel Brooks lights up our hearts with his humor, and his legacy has made a lasting impact impact on every facet of entertainment, unquote. Angela Bassett has been nominated for Oscars twice. 30 years ago, when she did the leading role in the Tina Turner movie, What's Love Got to Do With It? And last year for her performance as Queen Ramonda in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. This nomination broke two records. It was the first actor from a Marvel film to receive an acting nod. 
and the first woman from a superhero movie. She was also part of 1991's Boys in the Hood and was also in Malcolm X, How Stella Got Her Groove Back, and Pixar's Soul from 2020. So this is her first Oscar. This is amazing. She, a lot of people felt she got shafted in this most recent award ceremony. So they're giving her this honorary one. Fantastic news and congratulations to her. She's an amazing actress. Mel Brooks actually has already won an Oscar before. He won his first one for his screenplay for The Producers back in 1967, which he also directed. He was nominated for Young Frankenstein, which was released in the same year as a personal favorite of mine, Blazing Saddles. Brooks has gone on to win an Emmy, a Grammy, and a Tony over his career, making him one of only 18 people to achieve the EGOT status. Congratulations to all of these award winners. They have all done amazing work uh, in Hollywood and outside of Hollywood. These are fantastic winners, I believe. So congratulations to them all. Picture it. 1977. We're watching a relatively unknown actress on screen by the name of Carrie Fisher. And she is one of three stars in the movie called Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. We have no idea how iconic this movie is going to become. But at the moment, we're enjoying watching the action, listening to the dialogue, checking out the special effects. And here's Carrie Fisher in this princess role, changing her hair, changing her clothes. And it's just, it's beautiful. We're getting to the end of the movie. And this is the scene that is where the royal award ceremony she's on stage and she's handing out medals to luke skywalker and han solo for their efforts in destroying the death star and she's wearing this absolutely gorgeous white gown after the movie is over this beautiful piece of fabric goes missing and it's been lost for more than 40 years it was recently found in an attic in London, and it has been being worked on for the last eight months. They had seamstresses, textile con uh, conservators. They removed dust and dirt, restitched the open seams. This dress looks just like it did in 1977, and they've decided they're going to auction it off. The auction started at $500,000. Yep, you heard me. Five hundred thousand. It's currently up to seven hundred and fifty thousand, but the bidding is due to end by the end of day on June twenty eighth. Now, Carrie Fisher, as we know, she passed away back in December of twenty sixteen while she was filming. Actually, she had just finished filming Star Wars Episode Eight, and they were getting ready to do uh, Episode Nine, so they had to use unused footage to create scenes for her in Episode Nine. This dress was just, it was an iconic dress. She really didn't wear it for very long. We're more familiar with the white dress that she wore during the escape uh, off the Death Star. But this was just, it was gorgeous. It was just, it flowed. And it's so interesting. And, and this is my, my question. How does something like that go missing? I mean, I understand it's a movie prop. And at the time, the movie wasn't that popular. It was still in its infancy and popularity. But it just makes me wonder what happened to this dress and how in the world 
Did it end up in an attic in London after being lost for 40 years? Now, this dress is on the prop store auction house. It's lot number 404. Cute. And it is expected to sell for as much as $2 million. So here we have, it's, it's the day of the auction is ending. And right now it's currently sitting at $750,000. So we're going to see a little bit of last minute bidding, I think. We, I think we've got some people kind of sitting back and waiting. And we're going to see what's going to happen to this dress. Who's going to end up owning it? Is it going to end up in a museum or just some guy's private collection or some girl's private collection? Um, is it going to become an outfit for a celebrity to wear on going to the gala at the Met like you know, the Kardashians did with the Marilyn Monroe dress. And I really hope that doesn't happen because that was awful. Uh, so I'm very, I'm very curious. And it's just, it's awesome to see history come back like that. I know this dress is only 40 years old, but still it, they did an amazing job. I was taking a look at some of the pictures and I'll drop a link to the auction itself. They did amazing. They did so beautiful. It looks brand new. It really does. So very cool little story that I had uh, stumbled upon about this dress. So we're going to see how this auction turns out and see if they uh, if they get as much as the $2 million that they're hoping for. And now for something different. Every once in a while, reading these entertainment articles and these gaming articles, you come across one that doesn't quite fit with everything else you're reading, but it's just so blasted entertaining and interesting that you just got to share it. This is involving a baseball team. It's a collegiate summer team. So it's a, it's a baseball team that doesn't play the entire year. They're really just a summer league. And they're from the town of Macon, Georgia. Now, in 2018, this Macon, Georgia team had its first season with the Coastal Plains League. They decided to go to the fans and the citizens and ask for help naming the team. And so in a vote, by fans, the name Macon Bacon was chosen. They even have a team mascot by the name of Kevin. And Kevin won over the footloose actor Kevin Bacon, who even wore a Macon Bacon hat in an Instagram post. Their baseball concession menu is full of bacon products. They have bacon-wrapped bacon, holy cow, steak-cut bacon, bacon-loaded cheese fries, and bacon chips. And I swear my cholesterol just went through the roof. But now, as cute as that is, and this is honestly, for me, this is right up there with the Savannah Bananas. I love these quirky names. But now there's a doctor's group that is making a fuss over the name. This group promotes plant-based eating and animal rights. They're called the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And they've recently sent a letter urging this Georgia summer collegiate team to change their name. They even went so far as to sponsoring a billboard employing, imploring the fans saying, hey, keep your bacon off your plate. I don't think their fans were very happy with that. But hey, the group's nutrition education program manager, Anna Herbie, she wrote a note to the team's president and said, making bacon's glorification of bacon a processed meat that raises the risk of colorectal cancer and other diseases sends the wrong message to fans, unquote. Now, this physician's group, this committee, is based in Washington, and they advocate for plant-based diets and scientific research without animal testing. The letter was dated June the 1st and suggests that the team change its name 
Jamaican Faken Bacon, referring to a plant-based bacon. Say that three times fast. The team president, Brandon Raphael, said the Macon Bacon name and the brand have been completely embraced by fans for their lighthearted and playful nature, and also noted that the concessions does include a plant-based option. He's made a statement saying, quote, The Macon Bacon do not view ourselves as a glorification of an unhealthy lifestyle. Rather, we pride ourselves on being a fun-natured organization focused on bringing families and communities together of middle Georgia and beyond, unquote. Raphael also went on to say that the Macon Bacon will be sizzling forever and will not consider a name change ever. He had an interview with The Guardian and at first said, at first I thought this was a joke when I got the letter, but as he kept reading it, he realized it wasn't just this cheeky missive from a fan. This one had a serious tone to it. And Raphael had no intention of responding, thinking, okay, good for them, that they had reached out and taken a stance, even if he disagreed with the anti-bacon platform. When they went after the mascot, which is a life-size strip of bacon named Kevin, he said, that was kind of it. That's where they drew the line. Okay, write us a letter, but you went after the mascot. A plant-based Kevin was out of the question. Raphael said, quote, our mascot is just so well-beloved in her community. It's supposed to be fun. We're here for the right reasons. We represent our community, we represent Middle Georgia, and we represent our league. And we're disappointed that they think we're glorifying bacon in the eyes of our fans. By no means was it meant to become a national topic. We're not going to change the name. We're just a sports team hanging out in Macon, Georgia, just doing our thing. Unquote. Now, Dr. Neil Bernard, who heads the committee, didn't see the humor in the team's name. He said, quote, it's not debatable. Bacon causes cancer. Here's the problem. A guy brings his child to a ball game. The child is six years old. There's the mascot, a person in a bacon costume, and they're selling, I'm not making this up, bacon wrapped bacon, steak cut bacon, etc. And the child learns to associate this food with fun and with America's favorite sport and with his family. And that child grows up with a taste for food that causes intestinal cancer in the exact same way that cigarettes cause intestinal cancer. You would never call this team the making cigarettes or team asbestos because people know that they cause cancer, unquote. But I don't think the fans are going to be behind this change. In fact, the Macon Bacon sold out all of its 3,256 tickets before its last home game back on Saturday. Raphael stated once more that bacon is forever, and that is where we're at. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, no, 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 it's bacon! So we started off today's show talking about some Mortal Kombat. Uh, we took a side quest into Barbie land, and then ended up talking about someone trying to ban bacon at the local ballpark. Okay, well, that was one heck of a trip we took, but... Thank you guys so much for joining me on it. I do want to remind you that I do include the links to all of my sources in the comments so you can see what I see, the pictures, the videos, the tweets, and more. Also, don't forget to drop us a comment or even send us an email if there's a story you find that you want us to cover. Please join us next time as we check out the latest in entertainment and gaming news. Remember, stay comfy in the starter zone. This has been Amanda. Good luck and have fun.
have been listening to The Starter Zone with Amanda. I am Raven. We thank you for your time and support. Without you, we simply would not be. Please hit that like and subscribe button and visit us on Facebook and Twitter at The Starter Zone. Have we missed something? Have something to say? Leave us a comment or send us audio clips for your chance to be on the show. We invite you to come back for more exciting news and commentary on the world around you. See you next time in the Starter Zone.